Good morning. I'm Deborah Giro. Welcome to Amazing Women, the public affairs show that highlights Rhode Island women who make a difference. Amazing Women Rhode Island, now a podcast, so you can subscribe for free on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, all your favorite streaming services. If, if you like our show, please don't forget to leave us a review and help spread the word. I can't believe I started this show back in 2004. Yikes, it seems like another lifetime ago. <laughs> my, my guest is a friend and a fabulous storyteller. I cannot wait for you to meet Valerie Tutson from Rhode Island Black Storytellers. Ribs, founded in 1998, promoting appreciation and awareness of Black storytelling. Valerie Tutson is a graduate of Brown University with a master's in theater arts and a degree in a self-designed storytelling as a communications art. We'll talk a little bit about that. She's originally from Connecticut. Valerie lives in Providence. She's adopted a daughter and she's inspired by her travels to South and West Africa. Thank you so much for stopping by. It's so good to see you, Valerie. <laughs> it's always good to see you too, Deb. Really, Thank really you. good to be with you again. So as a little girl, like, were you always a storyteller? And like, what inspired you? <laughs> you know, I, my dad would always say that I was born with my mouth open and that my first words were, hi, dad, you know, and that I continued talking and telling stories. But you, the small town that I grew up in, in Connecticut was magical in my mind. I mean, we lived on a little tiny street. There were only five houses, but behind us and in front of us were woods. So I lived in the woods. I lived in my imagination. All the kids on the block, you know, we built forts. We made up, you know, kingdoms and queendoms and all sorts of things. But I also gained a reputation pretty early on of um, if I saw a movie, I would tell my friends the whole story of the movie <laughs> or any book that I read that I loved. I would, you know, have everybody sit down and I would tell them, you know, the stories so, so you, you were telling stories way in the beginning. Were you an only child? No, I was not an only child. I have a brother, one brother who is, you know, we're very close in age. He's, we're only 15 months apart, but he, he's a lawyer and he's also, you know, they're good storytellers too, um, <laughs> but we're very different. You know, he, I did, we all did sports, um, but that was his focus besides doing sports. I also did drama. Um, you know, the high school play, any kind of dramatic thing as, as well as running track and that kind of thing. Were your parents uh, educators? What did they do? Both of my parents were social workers. Ah, Yeah, but my dad worked in a school setting. He worked at Danbury High School. His name was Donald Hudson, and he worked there for many years in a program that was called Multi Opportunities for Youth. So he did dropout prevention at that high school. And my mom was a social worker at the um, outpatient clinic for the hospital in our small town. So, mm -hmm. and her, her focus was kids. Mm -hmm. um, they both met working with children. So in many of the conversations that you and I have had, you talk a lot about your visits to South and West Africa. I know it's had a profound impact on your work. Tell us why it's important and how it has inspired you. I think like so many Black folks in the U.S., we grow up um, not necessarily knowing what our connection to the continent is. Mm -hmm. um, and 
And particularly if you're African-American and you don't know your African heritage, that's often because it comes through enslavement, right? So I don't even know who the people in my family were who were enslaved. And there's oftentimes a lot of shame around that. And there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of trauma that we carry. But if we can go across the ocean and actually touch the motherland, there's something that is so powerful and grounding Mm. and helps you help. I would say helped me um, and has done this for others that I know, but um, helps, helps, you know, in your bones that there was, that there's so much more than the trauma and this notion of ourselves identifying as enslaved people. You know, you touch the continent of Africa and that's where the world began. And there are civilizations there and a sense of energy um, and a sense of knowing who you are. That yeah, I think the so sense powerful. of culture too, the yeah. sense of history and exactly. culture. That's There's right. Something greater that that preceded you. Absolutely. Well, and of course, you know, you can't even just say culture, right? Because in South Africa alone, they have 11 national languages. So that's represented representative of 11 cultures there, you know, and that's relatively sure. small amount of cultures. So, you know, there's kind of African culture, but then there's, you know, your subcultures mm-hmm. of all of that as well. So you're talking really like a lot of diversity, even within yes. a country. So bringing it back to, to America uh, and specifically education, how important is it for there to be diversity in faculty and schools, oh my in our local high schools and our colleges, you know, thoughts about that and also your experiences at Brown. Yeah. Oh, I can't. I, as I grow older, I recognize more and more how important representation really is. Um, You know, again, my growing up was, I didn't see a black professor. I didn't see a black teacher really until I got to college. Not in Connecticut. Not in Connecticut, not in my teeny tiny hometown. But my dad worked in a school where there, you know, they had some black people and some Spanish people and Asian people on staff, and they had a more diverse group of kids. Now I live in the city of Providence, where, of course, the we have a such a ridiculous phrase to use, but a majority minority population of students, and they're they don't see themselves reflected in in what they're learning. They don't see themselves reflected at the front of the classroom. I mean, it's one of the reasons why Ribs is so um, dedicated to making sure that we get into the the schools, which have the highest black and brown populations um, and usually the lesser resources to bring people in. So we make sure that we go in there. And how do you do that, Valerie? How do you make sure you get into a curriculum so that people, you know, young people in the schools can actually see the work that you're doing? Now, I didn't say curriculum in the city of Providence, because that's another whole. (laughs) (laughs) Although we do like, for example, we work with the Providence Department of Art, Culture and Tourism, which has um, a program in in some of the middle schools. So I do go in there and I bring my after school program then if it's well, we do stuff during the school day and we we try to figure out what the curriculum ties are. But regardless, we go in and we bring black history and culture, even if we don't know specific 
specifically what the ties are. And like you said before, we also try to really bring a diversity of what Black is. Mm -hmm. you know? So it could be Cape Verdean. It's folks who are um, Narragansett and Black. We've got folks who came up from the South. We've got you know Midwestern Black people. We've got Brazilian people. Um, so we really try to uh, highlight that even among Black folks, we are mm -hmm. When you were at Brown, I mentioned you self-designed your major, which I'd never really heard before, uh, storytelling as a communications art. Yes. How'd you do that? And how long ago was that? <laughs> Hello, well, folks I, at Brown. I'm going to design my own major and you will love it. <laughs> well, you know, that was actually one of the reasons I went to Brown. My mother said, hey, you can design your own major there. I didn't know what that meant at that time either, but they still do have what they call an independent concentration program. Um, and that means you have to put together your course of study and prove that it doesn't fit in one of the standard, um, uh, not majors, I forget, uh, concentrations, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and so really what, or that you can't double major, right? So what I did when I fell in love with storytelling was say, hmm, if I really want to study this in a holistic way that would make it my own independent concentration, I wanted to study um, the folk traditions of Black folks, right? So I worked with George Houston Bass, who was, he was one of my advisors. The, he worked, he was in Afro-Am, which is now Africana Studies. Um, and I worked with um, a, a man from, his name was... Uh, Bruce Rosenberg, he was another one of my advisors. He was in the AMSIV department because in those days, nobody talked about storytelling. They talked about oral history and it was this very formalized course of study that I didn't want to do, <laughs> but it was useful. And then I worked, I also wanted to make sure I was learning performative skills. So I had Lowry Marshall in the theater department, but then I put together um, children's psychology and multicultural literature, you know, so I got to piece together the things that this I was a, a four year major. Well, you declare your second year. Okay. Right? So, um, but it was my four year, it was my final concentration. And is it still an ongoing program at Brown where other students as a result of you blazing the trail can now do that? Well, um, they do it. There have been others who have used storytelling as part of their independent concentrations, but they haven't done it exactly as I do. Mm -hmm. That's sure. the wonderful thing about being the independent concentrator. You get to say, I want this, this and this, and here's how I'm going to use it. And that's why I want to do it like that. Love that. Yeah. So when did you know that your voice would be an instrument? Because our voice is an instrument and properly played. It has endearing and enduring qualities. Wow, what a beautiful question, Deb. I love these questions today. <laughs> um, the first thing that came into my mind when you said that was I have a memory of being about eight years old with a friend of mine, and we decided we were going to do our own Christmas storytelling. We were both eight. We went to the same church. And I remember being in my living room and making like my whole family and her whole family <laughs> sit down while we told the story of Christmas. Um, 
And I hadn't really thought about that, but I want to say third grade was pivotal, pivotal because that was around third grade. And I also played Mother Goose when I was <laughs> in third grade. So that's all about language and poetry and putting it out there. And I also was Harriet Tubman as a young girl in a, in a film that my godfather was making on, on the Underground Railroad in my town. So I think as early as that. Sure. Yeah. Which it's is easy to think about. It is. It's a great question to think. It's good too. I mean, the, the joy of audio and podcasts is your imagination. You know, it's theater of the mind and how it just takes you to places. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, uh, thanks for being here. I'm Deb Ruggiero. Also, um, Karen Kay is at the controls. Couldn't do Amazing Women R.I. without Karen Kay. And again, it's a podcast on all your favorite streaming services. My guest is Valerie Tutson from Rhode Island Black Storytellers, Ribs. Valerie and I have known each other for a long time. Nice to see you at the NAACP event in Providence. Yeah. Tell us about uh, Ribs. What was the genesis uh, of Ribs? I know we talked talked about it starting back in 1998, but oh, right. Um, the end of 1998. Um, there, Rhode Island has been very rich with storytellers for a long time. And uh, there was a group called the Spellbinders and which gathered themselves together. And three of those five performers were, were Black storytellers. But I had two things happen. I had been going to the National Black Storytelling Festival for several years. Um, and I had just come back from South Africa. And there was this opportunity through the Rhode Island Foundation to, to create programming that was going to celebrate Black arts and Black artists in community. They were doing something uh, launching this program um, called I'll Make Me a World. It was a video, PBS video series that was being done. And so they were calling for a catalyst for community. So we got to, I got together with Ramona Bass and I said, what do you think if we kicked off the year with the Black <laughs> Storytelling Festival? You know, there was a storytelling festival in South County, but it didn't get into the schools. And I really, really, really wanted something that could get into the schools. So we sat together and we said, huh, yeah, maybe we'll put a proposal together. We'll see if we will call, we'll call it the Funda Fest. Ah. It looks like fun. But funda means to learn in Zulu. Ooh, funda, to learn. Yeah, yeah. And so knowing that storytelling is the most ancient way people have been learning, we thought, and I had just come back from South Africa. I was like, we'll call it, we could call it funda. And then we sat at the table and said, what are we going to call ourselves? Well, we'll call ourselves the Rhode Island Black Storytellers. R-I-B-S, ribs. <laughs> just had us totally, you know, black. Wow. Because it's so culturally perfect. <laughs> so FundaFest then is, um, you know, over 25 years now, yes. which is amazing. What is the website? If someone wants to learn more about this or even just get in touch with you, Valerie. If they want to find out, they can go to the RIBS website, which is ribsfest.org. So it's www.ribs, as in Sam, F, as in Frank, E-S-T, Org. And there's a tab on there that'll tell you all about FundaFest and it'll tell you all the things that we actually offer as well. So, yeah. Ribs, so ribsfest.org, which is yes. fabulous. So how does one learn to be a good storyteller? Mm. 
I think it takes a lot of listening. Okay. Um, I, I often say that half, at least half of good storytelling is good listening. Um, you know, and if you're thinking about it, even in terms of trying to be performative, as you learn to listen, you get to hear um, story form, you get to hear storytelling technique, you get to notice how people use their voice. Um, because the voice is the instrument. I mean, we've talked about this on, on the podcast. And of course, we do live storytelling as well. You know, so then you've got your whole body as well. Yeah. So even listening with your body is key, right? Because you need to know when to pause. You need to know when to take a breath. You need to listen to, is my audience still with me? Do I need to slow down so they can catch up? All those things. So I think. At the core of everything is good listening. And also performance, to your point. As yes. Well. So we are listening. We are captive. We're chatting with Valerie Tutson, Rhode Island Black Storytellers. Can you share a story in two to three minutes? <laughs> Always the trick. I'm, I'm going to share this story because we're talking South Africa, and I might have told it a million years ago, but it's about how we got the stars. And uh, it's a Zulu story. And I, it, it came, it was, I found it in a little book that my guidance counselor at New Milford High School gave me when she found out I wanted to be a storyteller. And um, based on my travels in Southern Africa, I've, I've um, grown it a bit. Uh, so this is the way I'll, I'll tell it in two to three minutes today. The Zulu say when the world was new, there were no stars. There was no moon. In fact, when the sun went down, it got dark, absolutely dark. And in a village a long time ago, there was an illness had come through and many people had died. And one little girl was left without her birth family. And there was one older woman who also had no family. And so the wise ones of the village decided that the two of them should live together. And it might seem that that was a good idea, but they didn't really get along. And the old woman would say, I want you to go and take the cows out onto the field, And the little girl would say, please don't make me do that, Gogo, because that's the boy's job and they make fun of me. And one day the old woman said to the girl, because you have talked back to me, when you come back off of the field, you will stay outside at night. And the little girl said, please don't make me. The animals will come and it's so dark. Ah, you heard what I said. And so that night when the girl returned from the field with the cows, she was still hoping perhaps Gogo would change her mind, but she didn't. And she slammed the door and the girl was left outside. She did put some rocks in a circle and start a fire because she was scared and at least the fire gave her some light. But she was sad and heartbroken and she started to sing and cry and her tears fell down onto what she thought was a rock. But pretty soon that rock moved and, and then a head popped up and she found herself looking at a tortoise who said, why are you crying? And the girl didn't even think to be surprised that a rock was really a tortoise and a tortoise was talking to her. She just tumbled out the story. I'm all alone. I miss my family. I am all alone in the world. And the tortoise said, you are not alone. Your ancestors are always with you. 
just on the other side of the blanket of night. Can't see them. I will help you. Take the stick and put it into the into the coals. And on three, you put those sparks up in the sky. One, two, three. She tossed the sparks up into the black blanket of night. And holes got poked through. And little bits of light came through each one of those holes. <laughs> if you look up, you might think you are seeing stars. But the Zulus say, you see, those are the eyes of the ancestors, reminding us we are never alone. Mm, wonderful. Valerie Tutson, Rhode Island Black Storytellers. You are amazing. Love. <laughs> That's why you're on the show. Amazing, amazing women. women. Right. <laughs> With you. Amazing too. <laughs> oh, I'm Deborah Giro, and it's so nice to have you listening to us today. So on a personal note, Valerie, I know you, you adopted a daughter. Congratulations. Thank tell, us, you. tell us about your daughter. Oh my goodness. Well, she is now four years old. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been thinking about being a mom for a long time and, you know, things work out, don't work out. It's never how you think it's going to be. But uh, I got a call from DCYF right here in Rhode Island saying we have a little girl and we think Wonderful. you're perfect. Good and, for you. Wow. Yeah. And so they, so it, it took three years for the adoption to go through. Um, but she is four now and she is a happy kid. She's at pre-kindergarten. Her name is Joya. She is also quite a storyteller. Oh, I was going to ask you, is she also telling stories? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> She's got such a beautiful imagination and I can't wait to see what she does in life. Well, she's very much like her mother, you know? <laughs> yeah. People are like, I, yeah, she's yours. We, you know, you might not have birthed her, but that girl is definitely yours. <laughs> well, it was Maya Angelou who said words mean more than what's on paper. It takes the human voice to infuse deeper meaning. And you certainly do that with all of your stories. So what advice do you have if someone is listening and is interested in being a storyteller? Well, I do have a particular invitation. Do check out the RIBS website, ribsfest.org, because we are going to be offering some storytelling training. And if people are interested, we would love to have you, um, you know, get the information and find out how to do it. There are lots of places that you can actually go. I mean, it's, you have to practice. You get better by practicing and to, like I said before, listening, seeing as many different kinds of storytellers as you can so that you can find out what, what your style is and what kinds of stories you want to tell. I'm going to have to check out that website, ribsfest.org. Wonderful. Hey, one of the questions I love to ask, especially someone like you, if you could have lunch or dinner with anyone dead or alive, with whom would you love to have a conversation? Ooh. Um, hmm. Harriet Tubman just popped in my head. I wondered about that. Yeah. You know, um, I just got to, like I said, I played her when I was a little girl. She was one of my favorite first black history heroines that I knew she rose that I knew. Um, and 
Rhode Island PBS is getting ready to, they're going to be showing um, a Harriet Tubman new documentary. And one of our storytellers that's coming is a Harriet Tubman specialist. So it would just be, and I went to her grave and I went to her home in upstate New York. Gosh, it was amazing to like walk through her apple trees and have a conversation with her. Good. Wonderful. Well, I love your spirit, your courage, your voice. Valerie Tutson, thank you so much for joining us again on uh, Amazing Women. Thank you, Deb. Great to see you. Always. I'm Deb Ruggiero, and I end each show with a quote. This one is from Edna St. Vincent Millay. Her voice is a string of colored beads or steps leading into the sea. So find your voice and use it. Enjoy your day. You can subscribe free to the Amazing Women Rhode Island podcast on all of your streaming services. I'm Deb Ruggiero. Thanks for joining us. Stay well.